You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. If you would do me a favor and just uh, find a space in the room, you can sit, stand. We're going to begin tonight uh, by reading scripture. And so I want to read a passage of scripture over you. So in whatever posture you can receive, for those of you maybe You've been going and going, and so you just want to stand and receive with your arms open. For those of you tonight who are joining us who just want to sit and rest in this moment, I encourage you to have that space. But I want to say welcome to the Good Friday service here at Banner Church. And uh, I I do really enjoy this service, even though it is a reflection or a, a time of reflecting on the death of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you that with all the things that are going on this weekend in your life, that this is a moment for you to reflect on Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to not let anything steal that moment. Don't let anything take away from that moment of just reflecting on the depth and riches of his love for you. And traditionally, this would be the most somber service in the Easter calendar. And for many, it still is. Uh, for some, the, they do the service without uh, any additional lighting or uh, any heat. For us, it would be like any AC. Right? Um, the songs are usually sung, uh, sometimes a cappella. I mean, the Good Friday service has taken on so many different forms. Uh, over the centuries, but one thing has always remained the same, is that we are reflecting on the cost and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so it is somber and sobering, but it is joyful. And I believe it's the blessing of the believer to have a sober joy, to understand the weight of death, and also have received the beauty of life that comes from him. So I want to read this scripture to you today out of John chapter 18. If you brought your Bibles, follow along. If not, just receive and and listen tonight. It says, when Jesus had spoken, he went out with his disciples across the brook where there was a garden. And he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. When Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, he drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fill the word that had been spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one says, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. Servant girl at the door said to Peter, said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and the officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing warming themselves. Peter was with them, standing and warming himself. It says, but the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. 
Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And they sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not one of the servants and the high priest and a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. They led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to him, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to, fill, to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In this final moment, Pilate enters his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Would you pray with me tonight? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are the king whose kingdom is not of this world, and that you went willingly, willingly to the cross, that with all the power and all of heaven and all earth, you went willingly to the cross for us. And I pray, Jesus, as we worship you in this moment, that we would reflect that you are truth, that we would remember that you are truth, that you are the way, the truth, and the life you are Jesus, the Messiah. Let's worship together tonight. This is unfailing love. 
cross you Turns his face away as 
those wounds which marred the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. moments of Jesus as he's crucified. And again, I encourage you to put yourself in the heart posture of receiving the truth of the depths and riches of his love for you displayed on the cross. John 19, 1 says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore he delivered me over to you as the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called, in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, 
crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief of priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered them, him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one for each soldier and also his tunic. But his tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast for lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were her, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Would you pray with me again tonight? Jesus, we look upon the cross tonight. We don't avert our gaze from the cross. We don't avert our gaze from the injustice of your crucifixion. And yet we are so thankful that from the cross, you gaze to us with mercy and love. That you willingly went and were brutalized and beaten. May as we hear your word, may it resonate within our heart. May it stir within us. In the face of such brutality, might we see the beauty of your precious love for us, your precious love for your children. Amen. Amen. You can be seated today. Like I mentioned at the beginning, today is Good Friday. You know, it's been over a year since we received communion as a church, uh, which is a crazy thought. The last Good Friday service, Alec and I sat in this room. I think it was just us and our cell phones. I think that was it. Um, and we did a Good Friday service, and uh, people all around joined in. And so I encourage people then, but I'll encourage everybody watching online now, which is if you don't have... Oh, nice key change. If you don't have um, anything to receive communion, just use water or orange juice or whatever. <laughs> uh, Pop-Tart or something, whatever you have at home. If you're watching online, use whatever you have. But I want to share a little bit about Good Friday. Good Friday is an interesting thought, right? Because Good Friday is the day we reflect on Jesus. Isn't that interesting that Good Friday is the day we celebrate the death of Jesus and we recognize the death of Jesus and Black Friday is the day that we buy stuff and run over each other at Walmart? Doesn't it feel like those should be switched, right? There should be none of that and then Black Friday should be this day. But I think that's the unique thing as we reflect on Good Friday. How can it be good? How can what I just read, how can that be considered good? There's no justice there. On the surface, there's no um, truth there. It's, it's purely brutality and anger against the Son of God. 
We call it good. The most brutal day maybe on our calendar as believers, we label good. The day where Jesus was wrongfully accused. I know often we, we skip these thoughts in our mind, but tonight, don't skip them. Can I encourage you in that? Don't skip these thoughts. He was wrongfully accused. He was stripped naked. The God who created the universe is stripped naked. He was beaten almost completely to death. He was shamed. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was physically beat and harassed. He was brutalized with a crown and a costume. You know, when they made the crown and the costume, it was to mock him. The Romans were mocking the Jews. They were like, look at your king. We're murdering your king. And they're like, this, that just made them angrier, right? Crucify him, crucify him. And they screamed at him, and that just fueled Pilate. When Pilate's saying king of the Jews, he's not affirming. He's saying, I'm killing your king. He was denied by his own friends, Peter, the most valiant seeming who he was going to build the church on, right? Peter, you're my rock. Denies him to a servant girl. He was forced to carry a heavy cross, the beam for which he would be crucified on to hang from a tree. And though we want to avert our thoughts and our mind from it because it hurts to think, to understand that a back that was so torn and brutalized carrying a harsh piece of wood should understand the depth of suffering that Jesus went through. And he was nailed, his hands and his feet to the cross. The God who had all the power to avoid pain came down into a painful, broken world and died one of the most painful, broken ways you can. He was crucified with thieves. He was substituted for a murderer and a robber, and he was buried in a tomb. I think what's most brutal in the crucifixion of Jesus is what we don't necessarily see overtly on the surface, what we don't see overtly in the physical, is that he took the wrath of God for all of mankind upon himself. Can you, we can't even begin to imagine that weight. The wrath of God for the sins of man he took upon himself. But can I say, Jesus did not suffer on the cross as a symbol for us. This is not symbolic. He physically, spiritually took the judgment that all of mankind deserved upon himself. He bore the weight of wrath and the weight of punishment, the bitter cup that would be ours to drink. He loved us so much that he bore it upon himself. So though it is the most brutal and vicious death, it is still Good Friday. See, we were created by God. I don't know if you knew this, but you were created by God for relationship with God. That's why you were made. That's why you were created. You were created for loving, intimate relationship with God. We weren't created sinful and broken. The problem is that man chose almost immediately sin and rebellion. You go all the way back to Genesis. The Lord commanded man, Genesis 2, 16, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And so they eat of the tree. But if you read Genesis, you might wonder, why didn't they immediately die then? Because the death that they suffer was not just a physical sense. It was the death through sin, the death of relationship and eternity, the death of perfection, and eventually the death of the physical body. A separation from God. Sin is rebellion and a separation from a perfect God. See, there's this myth that lives in our world that people are generally good. As someone who studied philosophy at a secular university, I can tell you that is a popular worldview, and I can tell you that it is absolutely not true. 
a cursory exploration of history would tell you that that is fundamentally impossible with the weight of evidence of the universe and the real world that you and I live in. The reality is that all people are sinful, all mankind. There is a wedge, there's a divide of sin between us, the broken sinful mankind, and the perfect God. But he didn't put it there. He didn't place it there. We did. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at verse 24. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are sin, all are justified by grace. That's Good Friday. So you don't need a doctorate in behavioral medicine to recognize uh, that we are broken as people. Right? I I look at my kids. I love my kids. But, like, no one had to teach my kids how to lie. They're like, not my Johnny. Like, even him. Even him. (laughs) Trust me. We're prone to selfishness, to being the gods of ourselves. But what's amazing is, though through sin, we were in opposition to God, right? Sin is saying, I want to be God of myself. I choose myself to lead myself to be my own Savior. Through sin, we were in opposition to God. We put ourselves in opposition to God through sin. But what's amazing is that God says, I still want a loving relationship with you. We chose rebellion, and there was a debt and a weight of sin. So God said, I will do what is necessary to remove the separation because I love you that much. Ephesians 2.1 says this. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and by mind, and by nature were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I love that By grace we have been saved. We were enemies to God through sin. But because of his mercy, he reconciled us to Christ and through Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came to earth to do the work of reconciliation. What you see on the cross, what you see in John 18 and 19 that we read is the work of reconciliation. It is the act of love spanning from the beginning of time all the way back to Genesis. And we'll talk about that on Easter. But tonight I want to talk about the fact that Jesus took our debt of sin upon himself willingly. You know, when the Messiah was prophesied, Here's what scripture said, Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid onto him the iniquity of us all. Let me read that again, and I want you just to focus on these words. But I'm going to add the personal in here. See, he was pierced for my transgressions. 
he was crushed for my iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought me peace. And with his wounds, I'm healed. See, I am a sheep who's gone astray. I have turned to my own way. But the Lord laid onto Christ my iniquity to pay my debt. And so in that moment, in that brutal moment on the cross, why is it beautiful? Why is it Good Friday? Because in that moment when Jesus says, it is finished, what has he finished? He has finished removing the debt and weight and wrath of sin from my life and your life. It's good, not because it's clean and unmessy, not because it's pretty. It's good because it's real and it's beautiful and it is the greatest single act of love that has been and ever will be. It is finished. All your sin, it is finished. All your shame, it is finished. All your brokenness, it's finished. He has restored. He has taken it upon the cross. It's done. Before he died on, on Passover, Jesus sat down with his disciples and he used symbols that he knew they understood. We talked a little bit th about this on Palm Sunday. But he used these symbols of, uh, of wine and of bread. The Hebrews used them as very clear symbols of an experience they had. They were very clear symbols of a time where they were saved, where they received salvation from slavery, and where the precious blood of an innocent lamb meant that the curse of death passed them over. Every person in that room would have understood that symbolism, that these two things, the bread, the bread stood, the bread is my body, right? But the bread stood to them as a symbol of the provision of the life, bread was life that they received free from slavery. And blood was a symbol of a sacrifice. They knew the sacrifice, purifying hearts, purifying Israel, and restoring, and that the curse of death would pass over. So here's what Jesus says. Jesus the greater Moses, saving us from a deeper slavery by his body, the bread and his blood, the wine, he says. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he given and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, this is the fulfillment of everything that they'd been doing symbolically right here in this moment. It says, listen, here is my body. My brokenness and my death will bring you healing and bring you life. Here is my blood, my blood that will be poured out like a sacrificial lamb, the perfect and spotless lamb that will be poured out. It's now your covering. So when God judges the earth, he does not see your sin. He does not see your shame. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he says, remember, remember, remember what I've done. And what he's saying, when you receive of this, remember how much I love you and how much it costs. How much this great love cost. Remember. Have you thought about that? Have you recently thought what it costs to save your soul? That Jesus loved you so much he gave his life for you, that he chose you first. Paul, when he's speaking on communion, he says this, a very famous communion. You might have heard if you ever received communion, which we'll receive in just a moment. But he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered you that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and we'd given thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26 says, for as often as you eat this bread, 
and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a fascinating phrase. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, Easter we proclaim that he's risen in his life. But proclaiming his death is also important. I mean, it's not morbid because it's not the end, right? It's not morbid, but it is important. Because today on this day, on Good Friday, sin was defeated. On Sunday, death is defeated. But today, sin is defeated. See, Good Friday and Easter, they need each other. And they need us as believers to focus on both. Because without Good Friday, Easter never happens. But without Easter, Jesus is not victorious. He would just be another dead guy who thought he was God. They need both. So Paul says proclaim his death because we know that he rises, but we never want to forget his death. We never want to forget the cost. We never want to forget the suffering. We never want to forget that he went to the cross because it's important. And so they said when you take communion, really reflect, really look upon the cross, really remember what he's done for you in your heart. We're going to receive communion in just a few moments. I'm going to give you three things to think about as we do. And here's how we're going to do it tonight. A couple ways. One, we're going to have our team members standing here by the table. And uh, for those who are, uh, for especially for COVID protocols, they're going to have a mask and some gloves on. And they're just going to hand it to you with gloves um, as you come up. If you don't feel comfortable coming up and receiving communion, you can stay seated or send someone else to receive it for you. Or wave your hand and we could send someone to help you, okay? But in just a moment, the band's going to play, and as they do, in an orderly fashion. It's been a while since we've received communion. I'm, I'm going to invite you to stand with the band in just a moment. And then just begin to exit your rows and come forward. Receive communion from the sides and go back up the middle and sit. From the sides, go back up the middle and sit. If you're at home and you have your grape juice or your wine or your orange juice or whatever you're doing tonight, this is your moment. But I'm going to give you three things to think about as the band plays through the song and, and, and as we take a moment to just hold communion. When you get it, go back to your seat. Just hold it. Everyone, hold it. Go out the sides. Go out the middle. Hold it. Out the sides. Up the middle. Hold it. Don't eat it yet. Three things I want you to think about. I want you to look back. Look at the sacrifice of Jesus. Like really look. Really see the cross. Don't overt your eyes. See the perfect Savior as a sacrifice for your sins. See every sin, every shame defeated by his sacrifice. See him look down from the cross across all of eternity and say, it is finished. See him look at you and say, it is finished. Look at the cross. Look back that today you can be released from sin and have the fullness of hope. That tonight your sins are forgiven and it is finished. Amen. Then second thing, look in. Tonight this is the moment, but as you're holding that before you receive, that's the moment to repent. Scripture tells us don't, don't receive at the table if there's anything in your heart that you need to lay down at the cross. So whatever it is, I want to say repent and be forgiven tonight. Laid at the cross. He's already gone to the cross for it. Just say, search my heart, oh God. I lay it at your feet. So look back, look in, and then look forward. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus is coming back. That there will be a time of no more suffering and no more pain when the kingdom reigns on earth. I want to encourage you to take heart in hard times. If you are in hard times in this season, that Jesus loves you and sees you and is returning. So I'm going to invite you, would you stand with me today? And I want to pray for you. And as we do, we'll just begin. I'm going to invite Tristan to, to begin. Whoever on this side, I literally cannot see this side of the room. Whoever's over here. Jorge. Uh, hey, what's Okay, good. Yeah, I just see you. We'll begin there just a second. But I want to pray for you. And then I'm just going to release you to come down, uh, come down the sides and receive and come back up the middle. And just, you can just be seated with it or stand or kneel, whatever you want to do, but just hold it in your hands. Jesus, we look back tonight and we reflect on your sacrifice. We look in 
and we lay everything at your feet. And we look forward and celebrate that you're coming back. Would you please come forward and receive communion or remain in a posture of prayer? Thank you. with me and just holding those elements in your hand. Before we receive this together as a church, I want to give an opportunity. If you are in this room and maybe you have never surrendered your heart to Christ and though the big Sunday's Easter and celebrating that he's risen, you're, you are in this place and you are hearing the knocking upon your heart that the love of Jesus is calling out to you, saying that I am here for you tonight. If you want to open that door and tonight say yes to Jesus, it's one of many yeses as you choose to follow him, but it is the most important to say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I lay down myself. I, I die to myself. I want to live through you in the loving relationship of Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight, you're just saying, wow, I feel like maybe for the first time, or maybe again, it's been a long time. You need to say, Jesus, I give you my heart. 
make me new tonight. If that's you, with our eyes closed and head bowed, would you just lift your hand tonight? Jesus, we thank you for your love. That you made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that through you, we might receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if anyone is in you, Jesus, tonight, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So before we receive communion, we lay everything down to you at your feet. We repent of anything in our heart and we say, search me, O God, in my heart. Completely. And when he had given thanks, Jesus took, oh, sorry, on the, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus. We thank you for your body that was broken so that we might be made whole. We thank you for your body that was beaten so that we might be healed, that went to the cross and was broken so that we might be restored in a relationship. And we receive of the bread tonight, willfully remembering the body that was broken. You can receive of the bread tonight. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you hold the cup in your hand as we pray? Jesus, we take this small cup in remembrance of the cup that you poured out the sacrifice of your blood for us. That Jesus, you went to the cross first. You didn't wait for us to love you before you loved us. And you poured out upon us. You took the wrath upon yourself. May we always remember your great love for us displayed through your blood upon the cross. Let's receive together of the cup. invite you. We're going to sing one more song as we close here tonight. Would you just put yourself once more in a posture and a heart position that just says, maybe tonight thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. And just take a moment of stillness, whether that's standing or sitting or kneeling, whatever that is for you today, take a moment. This is such a different service, but it's so important that there be peace upon your heart in this moment. So I encourage you take this space. If you want to just open your arms and receive, if you want to lift your hands and just give it to him, whatever it is, Jesus, we give you this moment. We say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
Spirit just really put a picture in my heart of like a, a wedding when the groom and the bride are, are crying because of the emotions of the depth of love that exists in that space and the beauty. In a, in a good Friday sense of the Lord is just trying to speak in that, that sober joy, that recognition of the cost, but that it should spur within us such great joy that God loved us so deeply. Jesus, we thank you that you love your children so much. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what the bank account says, regardless of what their social status says, you love your children, every one of us, so much, so deeply, that before we even knew you came into the world to suffer and to die for us, that we might experience the freedom and the power of a new life in you, Jesus Christ. God, I pray tonight that that reflection wouldn't stop in our hearts. God, may we not be the dam at the river of the joy of the Lord. May we not be the stopping point at the recognition of the salvation of Jesus Christ. May we not be the dry desert at the end of the beauty of the gospel, but God, may it stir within us tonight a fire, a passion, that just as we have heard the good news, that you loved us, that you came for us, that you died for us, that we're going to gather in just a few days and celebrate that you rose again and you invited us into victory. Jesus, we know tonight, not far from this moment in this place and in this building, not far from our phones and a text message, not far online from an email, not far from us tonight are people who need to know the love of Jesus Christ. May that fire burn within us, God. May that authority burn within us. May that indignation at the schemes of the enemy to divide the children of God from the beauty of loving relationship light a fire within us that stirs up something that cannot be satiated, that cannot be calmed down by the things of the world, but it only rejoices in the victory of the gospel. God, we pray over this city and over this nation and over this world that on Easter Sunday, your churches are full of people of all shapes and sizes who hear about the love of Jesus Christ. And God, may we be a part of that. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said tonight, amen. The Lord is good, amen? Amen. I really want to encourage you. 
Sunday morning, three services, 8.30, 10, 11.30. I really want to encourage you to come. And if you, especially if you call Banner Church your church, can I ask you one thing? Be on time so that when people come to hear the gospel, they're not sitting in here alone. Would you do that for somebody? Would you make sure somebody doesn't go to church alone on Sunday? That would be amazing. I'm so blessed by you. I know that God's doing a work, but I want to say have an incredible night. Go in the peace of knowing how deeply Jesus loves you. Be blessed.